Wow, that was so nice. I've never been like the main attribute that people describe me as is nice. So that's, that was just good. I mean, I don't think that I'm not a nice person, but that was just, that felt good. Uh, cool, well, I'm gonna pray for us again because why not? Jesus, thank you for this morning. God, I pray that, um, that you would speak clearly to us this morning, um, that I wouldn't get in the way, that you would um, just do what you wanna do with your words, with your, um, yeah, with your heart at, at the center, Lord. And I pray that in humility, we would receive what you have for us, that we wouldn't come in it with prideful hearts, we wouldn't come in it with our own perspectives, flavoring and, and coloring what we hear, but that we would just hear your word purely and clearly for what it is. In your name, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, good morning. It's good to see everybody here. So, we are Diving in, this is week one of a series that we're calling Enthralled. So this will take us through the summer. We touched on this a little bit last week, but this first half of the summer, we're going to be diving into the book of Galatians. So my goal for this morning is to kind of set the stage for the book of Galatians. So that'll be done kind of two ways. One, telling us who Paul is or Saul is, who's the author of this book. And what's the context of the church in Galatia? So I'm going to be reading Galatians at the end. Don't worry. I haven't forgot that we're in Galatians. Um, that'll be at the end. But we're going to do a lot of um, like context and background as well this morning. So last week, if you weren't with us, Billy did a really good job of diving into the importance of the Word of God. And why is it um, so important? Why is it so important to believe in a text that contains absolute truth? Um, and why do we need to have our faith rooted in the Word of God? Uh, he joked that he talks really fast. And as he was saying that, I was like, Billy, I don't think you talk. Like, I'm keeping up. I think you're fine. And then this week I got him to send me his notes from last week because I wanted to refer to a couple things and realized that he had about 13 pages of notes and I have about six. So maybe there is, uh, maybe there is something to that. But anyway... He, uh, he dove into three areas. One, we looked at the production of the Word of God. So how did the Bible even come to existence? Who wrote it? How was it compiled? He also looked at the proof of the Word of God. So why is it even authoritative? Why can we um, count on it being truth and authoritative? And then thirdly, he looked at the power of the Bible, the power of the Word of God, and how can it transform our lives today? So if you missed that, go check it out. Um, I think it's nearly impossible to give like a full uh, undergirding of Scripture and why it's so important in 30 minutes, but I think he managed to, uh, managed to do it really well. So go check that out if you missed it. So enthralled, just to take a step back, what does this even mean? Why are we going for this word enthralled this summer? So the word enthralled means to capture the fascinated attention of. So a lot of times when we think about reading scripture, when we think about looking at the Bible, um, sometimes it can just be like this slow, steady reading this thing, which is good. And we require like as believers, we need to be able to sit when it's not glamorous, when it's not glorious, when we're not getting this crazy spiritual high experience to be able to rest and, and, and just dive into the word of God consistently. But we also want to be enthralled by this book. Like this is the living word of God in Hebrews. It says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating to dividing soul and spirit, spirit, joints and marrow. So this is serious. Like it's not just some historical fiction like the Iliad or Odyssey, some of the works Billy mentioned last week. Like 
That, those are great works, but they're not living. They're not alive. They're not able to, to penetrate into our hearts and, and touch us like that. So um, as we go through Galatians, that's where I want us to land. I want us to be like, wow, this was written by a real man who had the Spirit of God living inside of him. And, and it's just as true for us today as it was to the church that he was writing it to. So I was reading a lot this week, both in Galatians and Acts. So if you don't know, Acts was written basically chronologically alongside the book of Galatians. So the stories that you read in Acts were happening as Paul is writing these letters to the different churches. So I was struck as I was reading in Acts how enthralled the people that he was talking to were themselves. Did you catch that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Billy caught it. All right, so... Looking at Acts chapter 13, verses 42 through 43, it says, As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about the things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. So the people were clearly fascinated and captured not just by what Paul was saying, but also the words that he was speaking. When Paul spoke to the churches, most of the content that he was teaching on and preaching on was just Old Testament scripture. He was reading from the prophets, from Habakkuk, from Joel, from the Psalms, like all these different Old Testament scriptures were his main message because they all pointed to the person of Christ. They all pointed to Jesus who came later. So this is what I'm believing for for us, that we have that same mindset of like, hey, I want to ask more questions. Hey, hey, stay longer. Like, I want to hear more. Not because you want to hear more from me, honestly, um, but because you want to hear more of what the Word has to say and, and the power of the words of God and, and what it means. So that's what I'm believing for for this summer and just believe that's what God wants to lead us into is that we would become a people who are enthralled by the words of God. So before getting into Galatians, I want to look at two things. So who was Paul and Saul? Or Paul is Saul. So a little confusing if you uh, have never read the Bible. But so this man started out, he was called Saul. And uh, he was the author of not only Galatians, but a dozen other books in the New Testament. So understanding who he was, his background, his story, I think is really important to understanding the words that he speaks to us. Um, And yeah, he also was writing these letters to all these churches. So I want to look at, well, what was going on with the church that he was writing this letter to? It wasn't just some random um, letter that people found. It was directed to a specific people in a specific time. So I want to know who they are and, and what was going on at that church. So I'm going to break this down into three, uh, three T's. So I learned from Billy that you got to have alliteration when you're giving a good sermon. So first, we're going to look at Paul's testimony. Next, we're going to look at his trials. And then the third one is really just context, but I needed a third T. So the church's tension at the time that this was being written. You like that? So anyway, we're going to look at the testimony, the trials, and the tension that was going on when Paul wrote this letter. So first, his testimony. So as we learned last week, um, the Bible was inspired by many men who had the Spirit of God living in them. And I've heard so many testimonies over the years of different people picking up this book, whether it's in a hotel room or in another nation, in a third world country, reading it and being just like blown off their feet. 
at, at who God is, who Jesus is. At the same time, there's also a lot of biblical precedent that we see of people needing help understanding what this means. I was thinking about the story of, um, of Philip and the Ethiopian this week who found the scripture. He was like, wow, this is so interesting. This is fascinating, but what does it mean? Like, what's the background right. to this? So I think it's just so powerful when not only do we have the, the bread and butter, if you will, like the, the meat of scripture, but also we have understanding of where it's coming from and, and the background. So... Um, yeah, just looking at the power of testimony and revelation, it says that they triumphed over him, the enemy, the devil, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So when we hear testimonies of God moving through different people, it shows um, the power of God moving in their lives and it builds our faith as a result. So that's where we're going to go first. So we're going to spend a lot of time in scripture this morning. Hopefully everybody's okay with that. Um, before we do, though, I did want to get a quick pulse in the room. I want you to raise your hand if you would consider yourself to be like a bookworm. Like you grew up just reading all the time, can't put a book down until you finish it. Okay, so we got a few. All right, next, I want you to raise your hand if you're like, yeah, if I find something that I'm really interested in, I'll read that book, you know, maybe one or two books a year, tops, but I, I like reading well enough. Okay, so I, that's where I would like to say I fall. And then thirdly, this is the camp of like, let me know when the movie comes out and I'll go watch it. <laughs> Anybody in that camp? Okay, great. Well, that's so funny that that was like the most confident group. They're like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> Give me the movie. So anyway, my, my hope, um, I think I'm probably somewhere in between the like interested in reading and like to watch the movie. But wherever you're at on that spectrum, my hope is that as we engage with the Word of God this summer, you would realize that if not other books, at least this book is one that is hard to put down. Yes. Just because when you get into it, when you start reading it, uh, it's hard to, hard to put it down. So I really just wanted to read Acts chapter 9 um, to give background on Paul's testimony. But my wife said that people would fall asleep, especially since my voice is so soothing. Um, so I'll just give a brief recap. Um, so Paul, he was raised in the law. It says in Philippians that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, which just means he knew scripture. He knew the law. He studied it from an early age and was, that was his world. Like everything that he knew, everything that he did was surrounded by this culture of knowing the law and basically um, judging or criticizing those that didn't. So that was his world. Um, he was a witness to one of the earliest Christian martyrs. So when Stephen was stoned in Acts chapter 9, um, it's a, or Acts 8, it says he watched as he was stoned. And not only that, but the people who were executing Stephen took their cloaks off and they laid them at, at Paul's feet or at Saul's feet. And several different um, historians tried to guess at why this might have been. It could have been because they just really trusted him. So while they were doing the deed, they just put their clothes there because they knew that he approved what was going on and he would take care of their clothes. Some say that um, they just didn't want to get their blood on or get Stephen's blood on their clothes. So they put it there. Regardless, 
it's pretty clear that he was a person who approved of the persecution of Christians. He was very interested in that. Not only that, but he went a step further and he actually asked the high priest for letters that allowed him to go to synagogues in different cities and extract Christians, extract followers of the way, men and women who were following in the way of Jesus. So a lot of you guys may have heard some of this before, but I think just going through and really understanding, whoa, this is, this is his background. This is where Saul was coming from. Is important just to paint the picture of this is not what I would expect the background of half of the New Testament to be. You know, it's like, whoa, this guy had a totally different background than me and it was actually a vehement persecutor of the church. So he's on his way on one of these excursions one day to go persecute more Christians on the way to Damascus and Jesus um, from heaven knocks him down with a light shining from above and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And that's pretty hard to ignore. So he says, Lord, who are you? What, what is this? And he says, I'm Jesus. The voice says, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So God leads Paul to Ananias, um, to the house of Judah, and um, says that you're, you're to meet. That, and Ananias was one of the believers who's you know, faithful, but also scared to death, probably, of this guy who's been killing Christians all over the place. And so after they meet... Um, Paul confesses his faith in Christ. He gets immediately baptized and starts proclaiming the name of Jesus immediately. So it's this radical encounter on the road to Damascus that leads to immediate change in his life. And obviously the Jews that were walking alongside Paul at the time were not too thrilled about this. And they actually started trying to kill him because they're like, this was our guy. This was one of our main, you know, main persecutor guys. And now he's gone the other way. So... Um, a few takeaways as I just read this chapter this week. It's like this immediate response and obedience to the call of God on his life just speaks to the authenticity of, of his heart and, and who he received as Jesus. Um, and the believers that he met with didn't even believe that it was him. Like they'd heard about this guy, Saul, that was going around and killing Christians. And when they met this guy in person who said, you know, Jesus is Lord, and he is all that I want to preach on and talk about ever from now on. They're like, you're not the same person. So I don't know about you, but I've experienced this type of encounter, both with myself, but honestly with other people throughout college and after college, where it's like you knew them in high school maybe, or are you in youth group with them, and then you see them years later, and it's like all they can talk about is Jesus. All they can talk about is what testimony has happened this week about God moving in a miraculous way. It's like, who are you? Like, literally, you have the same response as these guys is. You're not the same person that I knew back in high school. And um, as Billy mentioned last week, there's a parable in the Gospels called the Four Soils, where this is like the four soil scenario, where you, you hear the word, you hear revelation of Jesus Christ, and you turn radically from your old ways. But there's also other times, right? There's times where you hit that third soil, and it's like you, you have that initial response, that initial reaction, but over time, the worries, the struggles, the trials of the world actually take, take people away from following Jesus wholeheartedly for their lives. And this is where I want to get into the second T and look at Paul's trials, because um, there's something about seeing people who have endured suffering um, for the sake of the gospel, that even though our culture is 
anti-suffering and anti-pain. There's something deep within us that is drawn to people that have endured faithfully and, and have seen that come to pass. Like last, last week, two weeks ago, whenever you preached, Ashley, I was in tears in the back row just hearing about the Hardys and how they have endured and some of the pain that they've gone through. That I don't know what it is, but it's something that you are drawn to when you hear, wow, this person, not just the pain itself, but the fact that they have endured and continued to trust God in spite of their circumstance is unlike any other. You know, there's nothing that builds trust quite like that. So even this week, it was funny, I was trying to... Um, paint this picture of how much our culture hates discomfort and how much we just love, you know, cozying up with a cup of coffee and a blanket and just don't like to be bothered. So I searched, like, I can't remember all the searches I did, but like crazy American comfort or ridiculous over-the-top comfort devices, all these things. I searched for like 10 minutes. I could not find a single negative article about like Western Comfort. It was all like, wow, yes, you know, these 10 recipes and these comfort measures, and you got to buy this mattress or else, you know. I was like, oh, that proves my point probably more than if I uh, found something that, that spoke ill of it. But anyway, we hate being uncomfortable, you know, in the West. We just can't stand it. Um, but we do still have something in us, like I said, that is drawn to people who have endured hardship, discomfort, trial, yet endure. So looking at Paul's trials, in 2 Corinthians, Paul reluctantly describes his trials and what he's endured for the sake of the gospel. And I say reluctantly because he himself recognizes how foolish it is to like point to his own trials and his own weakness as some measure of credibility when it comes to knowing Christ. But he does it because he wants to prove a point that human recognition is not the point of suffering. Um, it's Christ receiving the glory. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 21 through 29, it says, Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are, the, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I just want to pause on that one. <laughs> That's terrifying. Like, I feel like I would drown in about five minutes. But anyway, he did it for a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, so both parties in danger from, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? So people who are in it for their own personal glory or momentary comfort or maybe authoring a couple books in the Bible, but for their own, for their own benefit, they'll, uh, they'll fold yes. if they Absolutely. encounter even one or two of these things that, that Paul encountered. So he didn't need 
to suffer like this to win the admiration of his peers. He actually already had that. Um, as a Pharisee of Pharisees, the people who were in his circle of influence, they really revered him and admired him already. So he didn't really need to do any of this for, for that recognition. He knew it more than anyone else that, um, that what he was doing already would win him those religious points. So that wasn't really the goal. Um, but he, because of his experience in that context of being admired by many others, um, he could easily recognize the difference between what the true gospel was saying and what these other like perverted gospels were that inc included all these other things um, aside from just true faith in Christ. So this is finally where we'll dive into Galatians. So thanks for bearing with me a little bit longer. Um, so the church's tension. Um, so this book of Galatians was written to the church in Galatia. I don't know if you can draw that uh, connection, but there you go if you missed it. So Galatia is in or was in present-day Turkey, and it was founded, the church there was founded by um, Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey through that area. So Paul had significant investment in this church and all these churches that, that were planted. And it honestly struck a chord with me this week as I was thinking about it, because if you don't know, Allison and I, um, we moved to Ann Arbor, Michigan in 2018 and just got back in December. So spent a good two and a half years there. We didn't plant the church, but we feel very closely connected to the people there, having spent a couple years there. And over the last year or so, you know, just with COVID and other things that have gone on, there's been a lot of pain and hurt through, um, through the people in that church. And we have felt like ourselves just drawn to them. You know, we, we feel confident that God has led us here to be here. But just hearing about these stories, we're like, oh, we want to be there just so that we can be a shoulder, you know, just so we can be with them because they're our family. So I can only imagine Paul, you know, as he's writing this letter, feeling that same sense of just uh, ownership and, and family yeah. with this family, you know, or with this church. So um, the church, as I said before in Acts, they were enthralled by the words that that uh, he was speaking in the words of God, but they were also divided. So this is the context of the church that we're looking at, is it was split between Romans and Jews, so Gentile and Jew background. And at first, I guess this wasn't a major issue because when Paul was there planting the church, he was preaching the pure gospel, the pure message of faith in Christ alone. But as he left and as other leaders started to infiltrate into the church, um, Jewish leaders specifically started introducing a little bit of a twisted theology, a little bit of a cultural um, norm that wasn't the message that Paul preached, but was more in line with the culture that they were already familiar with. So things like circumcision and, and food restrictions and things like that that were part of the Jewish culture, they were like, yeah, faith in Jesus, but also this, 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 and this. Yep. And that is what Paul is writing the letter to this church, experiencing these sorts of divides and these extra stipulations, these extra requirements that weren't originally the gospel that, that Paul had preached. 
And in every culture, there's these traditions that are not easily changed, and it's difficult to abandon those. So it's not that crazy to think that these cultural norms started to be absorbed in the church over time. So this is the stage that's kind of set leading into Galatians. Here we go. We're finally there. Galatians 1, verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. I just want to pause here. So when he says he was sent not by man um, nor by a man, I, uh, I think of Jesus in this context because he went around saying, these are not my own words that I'm preaching, but the right. words of God the Father. Right. And so it just struck me, and I've been in a few other countries in the last few years, and this is always a sticking point, I feel, that I try to highlight when people from other faiths are like, wow, yeah, Jesus, that was a good, good prophet, good teacher, um, and overall morally very integrous, but not, uh, not God. And I was like, well, he did say that like, he was God and that if you don't follow him, like, that's the only way that you can get to God, the only way you can get to the Father. So in my mind, he's either a lunatic or he's the son of God, you know, but it's hard to justify this in between. Oh, he's a good guy. Anyway, so Paul was the same way. He's like, I wasn't sent, um, sent by a man. This wasn't my own thought. I was sent by God. He encountered me and he told me to preach this gospel to you. So there's just a, a, a line there that is kind of drawn and you have to decide, okay, well, is this guy legit? Is he really sent from God and are these words truth? Or is it just a story like the Odyssey or the Iliad, you know, and, and some, right. some wisdom that some guy came up with once. So anyway, just an interesting point. Verse two, all the brothers and sisters with me. So he had unity with the rest of the church to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. So, according to Paul, if we adopt and start to preach a gospel which is diluted by the culture around us, we'll be under God's curse. So, it's interesting. Um, <laughs> Something maybe to take note of. Um, verse 9, as we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you have accepted, let them be under God's curse. So the, the perverted gospel that we see here in Galatians, like I kind of laid out, is Jesus plus fill in the blank, whether it's circumcision or you can't eat these foods or you have to abide by all of these other laws. It's, it's a twisted version because the, Paul, the gospel that Paul preached said, this is it, faith in Christ alone. You have to know him and him alone and put your trust and faith in him. And then they said, yes, and all these other things. So even though we don't have necessarily that same, uh, that same twisting, that same perversion of like, hey, everybody has to be circumcised or everybody has to follow all these laws, in our culture, we have similar 
twists. And Billy touched on some of these last week. So these could be things like no one can know absolute truth. So if you're proclaiming that this is absolutely true and there is no wiggle room there, then that's, you know, you could be called a heretic for that. Um, or that humans are inherently good, something like that. Love is love. You can't put any restrictions on that. Jesus is a way, but not the way. So there's a lot of these subtle or sometimes not so subtle twists that are, they seem like good news, right? They seem like the gospel, which means good news. But if you take it further and you try to understand what that really means, it's actually a perversion of the gospel. And then again, according to Paul, we'll be under a curse for that. And I, uh, as I was reading this week, I'm about to read verse 10 and and we'll finish up here, but I was reading and I feel like I kind of got a cheat code a little bit standing up here because verse 10, I'll just give you a sneak preview. It basically says we're not, um, we're not trying to win the approval of man. We're trying to um, be true to the gospel of Christ. And uh, yeah, I just felt like, man, this is like hard. This is hard teaching. Verse 9 and, and 8 where it says you're under a curse if you adopt just little changes to the gospel that, that aren't truly what, what Christ has said. And I was like, I don't really want to, I'm not that eager, I guess, to tell a bunch of people that they might be under God's curse and that I fall in that same bucket. Like, that's not really something that you want to say all the time. Um, but just felt like the mercy of God, the grace of God is like, well, guess what? It's not about you winning their approval. It's about speaking the truth and, and having my approval. And this is what I say. So anyway, let's just read it. Verse 10. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So, yeah, I just think we have a decision in our lives today, you know, to focus on trying to win the approval of, of man and those around us or trying to um, be in the will of Christ and, and know him alone. Um, and our culture may have different idols, different things that we're trying to win the approval of than, than in his day, but the heart is exactly the same. The root temptation is, is the same, to be affirmed by other things that, that aren't God. So I just wanted to leave um, and kind of end with two questions. So the first question would be, have I allowed anything, any cultural norms to pervert the gospel of Christ in my life? So this could be an unwillingness to be uncomfortable, you know, like we were talking about before. It could be an elevation of spiritual things above knowing Christ alone. I remember when I was in college, I was spending time with God one morning and I just was like, God, is there anything in my life that I have elevated above you? And I started writing this list. It was actually a longer list than I had hoped it would be. Um, anyway, so I start writing all these things. And the last thing on this list was your relationship with Christ is an idol above Christ. And I was like, well, what does that mean? Like I thought, you know, we talk about relationship with Jesus all the time. Like, that's great. And he reminded me of a friend that I had at the time, still is a friend. Um, many of y'all may know him, Terrence Hicks. And uh, I just remember there was a, a Sunday morning where I was sitting up here talking with somebody before church started and Terrence walked in. And Terrence is a big guy, very hilarious, very popular, just, just one of those guys you wanna be friends with. And he walks in and I'm like, 
yeah, my friend. You know, as, I, as I'm talking to these guys, I see him, and he was like, yeah, you know, sometimes you value the fact that you know Terrence and you have friendship with him above Terrence. You know, you actually like that you know him and people know that you know him more than you love Terrence for who he is as a friend. He's like, that's how you can get with me sometimes too. You know, you can make it all about your relationship with Christ and the things that you've done in the name of God. And it actually becomes diluted. It becomes perverted, like Paul was talking about. So it could be something like that. Um, anything that has, has twisted or, or perverted the true gospel and, and knowing Christ alone. Second question is, whose approval am I trying to win? Um, for Paul, he started by focusing on getting the approval of man and, and after a radical encounter with God, he said, that's not gonna work anymore. It has to be Christ alone. So um, I'm gonna pray to close us and if we could have a few of our life group leaders, um, go ahead and stand on up, actually everybody, and then we could get some leaders up here at the front. Um, I'm gonna pray for us. So Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you are everything that we don't have to add or take away from the things that you've spoken because the things that you've spoken are true and authoritative and, and complete in what you've said, God. And Lord, I just pray this morning that as we hear your words, that we would not feel guilty, that we would not ignore them, but that we would hear them with pure and humble hearts and that we would respond in a way that you're calling us to. So if there's things in our lives that we have allowed to take your place um, and, and versions of our faith that have been twisted by, by absorbing the culture around us, Lord, would you just highlight that to us right now? Would you reveal to our hearts the ways that we have um, compromised on, on who you are and, and what you've said? And Lord, I pray that with humble hearts and with repentant hearts, that we would encounter you like Paul did on the road to Damascus, that there would be um, just this undeniable, unequivocal encounter with you that we can look back on and say, you are real and I don't care what anyone else says because I've experienced you to be true in my life. It's in your name I pray.